This is Andy Mangum, and you're listening to Sunday Starter. I haven't been podcasting for a while for a lot of different reasons, uh, but I'm getting ready to teach a course in theology for people in ministry or people preparing for ministry who are not in seminary and excited to be doing this. And so I thought I would make the many lectures that I will be offering to that course available on Sunday Starter as well. We begin with what is theology? And one of the primary texts I use uh, frequently is one by Nancy Murphy entitled Reasoning and Rhetoric in Religion. Nancy Murphy is a philosopher of religion. She taught at Fuller Seminary for many years. Uh, she may still be teaching there. But she was also a student of Stephen Toulman. Stephen Toulman was a rhetorician at Northwestern University, wrote one of the more influential books on argumentation called The Uses of Argument, and that uh, framework was familiar to me as a student of speech communication, and that's what drew me to reasoning and rhetoric in religion. She uses language that I personally find helpful, and I, I think other people will as well. So you might check that book out. Nancy Murphy defines theology as an academic discipline that reflects in a sustained way on the worship, morals, and beliefs of a religious community. I find that to be helpful. She's trying to provide a generic description of theology. Uh, obviously, though, she wants to come at that from a Christian perspective. She is a Christian and a Christian theologian, and and, and I do as well. I, I approach uh, theology not just as a theologian, uh, but as a practicing minister. And for me, the academic discipline of theology needs to serve the, the purposes of ministry. And the way I, I think about this, and, and I'll use an analogy that I'm really not qualified to use, but I think about theology as sort of an anatomy and physiology course for a medical professional, whether you're talking about a nurse or a doctor or a physical therapist, maybe even a physical trainer, somebody in kinesiology. We go to those kinds of professionals to resolve a particular problem with our health or to get stronger or to feel less pain. And they, uh, they, they do that work relying on what they learned in foundational courses like anatomy and physiology. For the most part, we don't go to them for lectures on anatomy and physiology, though there's a number of YouTube video channels out there now run by doctors who are, for the most part, doing just that, kind of providing a general understanding of how our bodies work. By and large, when we go to a medical professional, we assume that they've had that training as foundational and that their advice to us, their instructions to us, are born out of that foundational understanding. Same thing is true of theology. For the most part, people in we encounter in ministry aren't coming to us to understand theology in general. There are places for that, to be sure. Pastor's class is a very rudimentary course in Christian theology, and there may be seasons where people say, we want to look at what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, but from a day-to-day -day perspective, what ministers do is they draw on the foundation of theological learning that they have done to do the work of offering pastoral care, of guiding Christian education, of engaging the community in mission and service and witness, and in leading the people in worship. So I come at this as a minister and, uh, and, 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 and hope that you'll join me in that understanding. So there's a point at which obviously my analogy breaks down, right? Uh, because the, the language we use about our bodies, the tissues that we use, the organs and the systems, those are rooted in science. It doesn't necessarily change 
Perhaps it does, and somebody's going to argue with me, I'm sure. But it doesn't really change um, what we call the heart or the lungs or the rib cage, um, depending on how we feel about the heart or the lungs or the rib cage. These things are, and they function the way they do. We can describe them more or less objectively. Theology doesn't work that way. Uh, in, in, and we'd be kidding ourselves if we did. Theology has some embedded assumptions, and embedded theology uh, is language that I find familiar. It's taken from uh, a book called How to Think Theologically, written by a couple of professors that I studied with at Bright Divinity School, Howard Stone and Jim Duke. And, and embedded theology is just that. It's our functioning theology, and it shapes how we understand things. When we come at theology as an academic study, though, uh, what, what we strive to do is, one, to be honest about our theological starting points, our embedded theologies, and then examine them, and maybe uh, define our theological starting points intentionally. Everybody has them. The question is whether you're intentional about it or not. Uh, this is probably the best place to use one of my favorite stories. There is a, a little verse in Scripture, I think it happens right around Luke 4, maybe Luke 6, that did not make it into the final cut of the New Testament. Uh, it's in the textual apparatus of the Nestle Allen 27th edition. Uh, it's probably in the later ones as well. Uh, but the story goes like this, that Jesus was walking along, he saw a man walking along, saw a man uh, plowing his field on the Sabbath day. And he said to the farmer, uh, human, person, anthropos, if you know what you're doing, you are blessed. If you don't know what you're doing, you are cursed. Um, now, what did he mean by that? Eh, well, the story is apocryphal, uh, so we re can't really do a whole lot of exegesis on it. Um, but I use that as a way of saying I, 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 that if we are intentional about how we go about theological tasks, uh, then we can reap benefit from that if if we don't examine uh, our theology and aren't vigilant about how that's constructed and how it comes out of us in the course of our ministry then i think we run some real risks and i say that clearly acknowledging that there are a lot of things i have done in ministry that have been unintentional and i just pray that god can correct that what uh, i have worked so hard to mess up but so what are you talking about with these starting points? Well, um, different typologies, different language uh, for that. I found one by um, David Ford in his book, Theology, A Very Short Introduction, Oxford University Press, 1999, uh, pages 21 through 26. Um, he summarized a typology. One of the, the things I was taught in seminary was be careful of anybody who gives you a typology because uh, the last category they describe is usually the one that they actually wanted you to believe in. I'm not sure that's true of Ford. I think Ford was really just trying to say, here are ways in which academic theologians come at the work that they do. He talks about two extremes, uh, and he claims that it's built around a book by Hans Frey. I've not read the Hans Frey book, so I'm just going to give credit to Ford because I think he's probably done enough with that that it's his own. Uh, but on one extreme, Ford calls type one is a theology that does its work without 
claiming or, or really almost excusing uh, any theological language. That would be Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. They really just don't use theological categories, uh, traditional or, or faith-based, um, rooted in a faith community language for the theological uh, understanding. So the, the example that came to my mind is not one that Ford gives, but in 1998, uh, E.O. Wilson, an entomologist and philosopher of uh, uh, science, wrote a couple of cover page articles for the Atlantic Monthly, one in March, one in April. Uh, the one in March was called Back from Chaos, uh, and the, the one in, in April was called The um, uh, Biological Basis of Morality. And and the argument, I'm not going to do a good job summarizing it, uh, don't agree with him, but it's, it's well written and uh, thoughtful enough that it needs to be engaged. But the argument he makes Uh, as best I can remember it, is that religion and morality are born of human evolutionary processes, that religion thrived and thrives because it serves our evolutionary uh, survival processes to to think altruistically, to have standards and, and norms that we follow. All of these things serve our best interest. Again, that's a, a bad example, or not a bad example. It's a good example. It's a bad summary. Uh, but it's an example of kind of what this type one might look like, of somebody who comes at theological questions but really is not a believer. Uh, E.O. Wilson would identify himself, uh, did identify himself uh, as agnostic. Um, so he didn't have any particular belief system that he adhered to, uh, but 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 wanted to explore this question of morality and and theology. Uh, At the other extreme, uh, what Ford describes as type five, um, are the theologies that adhere uh, all rigidly to a particular, what we might think of as biblical worldview or classic theological worldview. Um, Those terms are problematic. Uh, What Ford was trying to avoid was using labels like fundamentalism, um, in part because we have preconceived notions of what those terms mean, and he was working at trying to identify some definitions that would work across those categories. Um, But what we might point to Christian fundamentalism as an example of that type 5 theology. But what he says where most academic theology lands is somewhere in the middle of that those two continuums. Um, that type 2 takes an external framework, and now I'm quoting from him, takes an external framework seriously, but also wants to engage with what is distinctive in Christian theology. So this might be somebody who, um, say, is a Christian existentialist, and so they're their theology is shaped primarily by the philosophy of existentialism, but nonetheless, they try to engage with more traditional language uh, of Christian theology and do so from that lens. I think Rudolf Bultmann might be his example of that. Um, I'm not sure that that I would put Rudolf Bultmann that close to uh, a type one theologian, but you see kind of that point. It, it, it's it's working from the outside in uh, of Christian theology. Uh, type three is more of a correlation approach. It's actually the language he uses uh, that seeks to bring traditional Christian doctrine into dialogue with external frameworks like f- uh, from philosophy, the arts, and psychology. And then type four would work more from the inside out. It gives priority to Christian doctrine and language, but engages in conversation with external dialogue partners. What 
what Ford was trying to do was work really hard at avoiding terms like liberal or evangelical. Um, we all have probably an understanding of what we think an evangelical is and what we think evangelicalism is. Um, but we may not always be aware that the people we're talking to have their own definitions of what an evangelical is and what evangelicalism is. And so when we assume that everybody has the same meaning we do, which is an assumption we make all the time, um, we talk past each other because we have actually different, sometimes radically different definitions of those terms. Same thing with the word liberal uh, and liberalism. Liberal is uh, a particular position, and, and people who identify as liberal do so in a particular way, and yet if we assume that we know what that term means uh, or that the, our dialogue partners know what that term means and that we all share that same definition without allowing the evangelical or the liberal themselves to define themselves, um, then, then we'll find that we are talking past each other. And ultimately, what we want to do is get around to it examining ourselves and the theological milieu out of which we operate? What are the influences? How do we define ourselves? Uh, how do we be intentional uh, about our own starting point? One thing I would say that I think is a flaw in this opening example that, that Ford gives uh, is that um, he, he doesn't really talk about, and really throughout the book, does not talk about uh, this question of social location. And, and one of the problematic things that I see uh, us doing, Christians uh, in predominantly white churches doing frequently, is, is talking about the theologies that come out of a social location as if our theology does not come out of a social location. So let me be clear from the get-go that I think all theology emerges out of social location that is influenced by gender and uh, views of gender, of ethnicity and race and skin color, of um, relationship to economics and political structures and when and where we enter history. Uh, that said, uh, there are some theologies that are more intentional, and I think that's a good thing, being a, a intentional about their social location and will define themselves as such. And a good example of that is womanist theology. Uh, Shaniqua Walker Barnes, in her book, I Bring the Voices of My People, explains that a womanist theology begins its analysis by understanding the lived experiences of African-American women including the ways in which they experience oppression and the ways in which they find hope and exercise agency in the midst of oppression. That's one example. Uh, other familiar examples might be liberation theology, which uh, is generally associated with the theology emerging out of Latin American experience, particularly as it defined itself against European theology that uh, was forced on Latin America through colonization and which served to reinforce oppression. You might think about feminist theology and uh, or mujerista theology or queer theology. These are all self-consciously coming from their social location. But again, I think all theology emerges out of social location and uh, also to, to, to go back to that example about Jesus talking to the person uh, plowing their field. If you know what you're doing, you're blessed. If you're aware of your social location and willing to name that, uh, that is good. 
Um, but otherwise, I think we're we're being delusional. And so the 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 work that I often go to is sort of my um, benchmark of just just sort of quick and easy understanding of theology is a book that was published by the World Council of Churches entitled Confessing the One Faith, an Ecumenical Explication of the Apostolic Faith as it is confessed in the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, 381. That's a big mouthful of a title. Well, why do I like this book? Well, I like it because I appreciate the work of the World Council of Churches very much. Um, I like it because it wasn't written by one person. It was written by a committee of people. It was written by a group of people trying to articulate the faith of uh, that particular ecumenical church, the World Council of Churches. Uh, It is global, more or less, in its composition and, um, and, and reflects consensus. But even then... We would have to acknowledge that it is um, largely the theology of uh, Western uh, European understanding of Christian theology. And the fact that the copy I'm holding in my hand is written in English um, also then shapes the way that the contents come off to me. If I were reading in a different language, I would understand the very same text differently. So all of that to say, uh, we, we want to be aware of what is our theological starting point now. Um, I don't try not to ask people to uh, make confessions of faith uh, or make you know, write out um, uh, creedal statements or belief statements too quickly uh, in their study of theology in part uh, because I found that when I did that in my own theological development, I spent a lot of time defending what I thought uh, I believed rather than uh, really exploring the concepts and and uh, engaging uh, in a thoughtful reflection of that. So um, so that's just some some ways to think about kind of when and where you enter the theological process and and how we go about engaging it. As always, remember to redeem the drive for the commutes are evil.